Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the MCG Pediatric Podcast. My name is Zach Hodges, and I'm a pediatric hospitalist here at the Medical College of Georgia. This episode is part two of our series on caring for infants with trisomy 13 and 18. As we mentioned in part one, overall, there's a shifting standard to offer newborns with trisomy 13 and 18 more advanced intensive and surgical care. Today's discussion is focused on cardiac surgery considerations for these special patients. And to do that, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. James St. Louis. Dr. St. Louis is a professor of pediatrics and surgery at the Medical College of Georgia, and he is the chief of pediatric cardiothoracic and congenital cardiac surgery here at the Children's Hospital of Georgia. Hi, Dr. St. Louis, and thanks for joining me. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me. To get us started, Dr. St. Louis, will you tell us how big of a problem is this? How often do you care for babies with trisomy 13 or 18, and how common is congenital heart disease in these patients? Well, Zach, it's a growing issue. As more and more prenatal diagnoses occur, this disease, this disorder is more brought out. Ten years ago, it was very rare for me to see a trisomy 18 patient in my practice. Now, I can tell you since being here at Augusta University, I have had five referrals since my arrival. So it's a growing issue within our practice. It's a growing ethical issue within our practice. But overall, the prevalence of trisomy 13 and 18 is probably pretty constant, but the incidence that we're seeing is increasing. And are there any particular types of congenital heart disease that are more common in these patients? Yeah, that's true, Jack. So uh, holes in the heart, VSDs, ASDs are actually very common. Coarctation of the aorta is a very common disorder I see, especially in the trisomy 18. We see less often tetralogy of flow, but that's there. And even less often, the more complex single ventricle lesions. For example, today, I'm seeing a patient mother, uh, fetus, with trisomy 18 and interrupted aortic arch, and they want my opinion of what the next stages are. You know, that's really interesting and a question that came to mind before our recording today. You know, how often do you see these cases of a prenatal diagnosis? So it depends on the region. In this region, we have a very good MFM service set up. So majority of the neonates I see, over 80% will have had a prenatal diagnosis. In some other regions in the state, not so good. And the infiltration of MFF practice into these regions of this state are less accurate in finding these things out. For example, the case I did of a total veins, uh, which is the pulmonary veins going to the heart in the wrong direction, was found postnatally. Wow, so interesting and so much for us to get into today. So in my conversation with our chief of neonatology, Dr. Paul Mann, we discussed that until recently, newborns with trisomy 13 or 18 were not widely offered invasive NICU care. In general, how is this similar or different for cardiac surgery? Well, it parallels. It's very similar. So as I said, and as you've said, 10 years ago when this diagnosis was made, majority of times the parents were advised to abort the fetus. But now, through a lot of sort of ethical sort of come to fruition in the idea of what's right and wrong, patients are given the option to deliver. Now, again, specifically with trisomy 18, it is considered a terminal syndrome. But, you know, we have certain philosophies, group philosophies that the Heart Center has come together to discuss. And we actually had this discussion yesterday again with trisomy 18 patient that's being delivered soon. So there's still a great ethical issue, but a lot of these families are still being allowed to deliver. So it seems that as NICU progresses, so does congenital cardiac surgery. It really does. And I have an ethical philosophy of how to deal with the trisomy 18, trisomy 13 population. And I really believe it's still a terminal disease. 
But we want to do whatever we can do to have that family, if they desire, to spend as much time with this child as they want to and at time at home. So our heart center will offer a procedure that is low risk from a congenital heart surgical standard, but will allow the child to be able to be discharged home. So for example, a child that has trisomy 18 that does not have severe respiratory issues but is in heart failure because of a large hole in the heart, I will offer the family VSD closure with cardiopulmonary bypass in order to get this child home. Similarly, with coarctation that are stuck on a medicine called prostins because they can't go home because they, don't, they have an obstruction to the outflow of the heart, I will offer a coarctation repair to get the family home. If the child is doing well and if the child still has a congenital heart defect. I generally don't offer surgery if the child is able to go home. So it seems that if it's a relatively simple repair, maybe a VSD or an ASD, and it can be palliated or fixed with one surgery, you might be more likely to offer that. Certainly, Zach, yes. And for example, today's case that I'm seeing of a mom with a fetus with trisomy 18 has an interrupted aortic arch. That's a relatively complex surgical repair, long-term ramifications, And if this is truly the interrupted arch that we'll confirm today, this is from an outside referral, then I won't offer this patient any surgery to the parents. So big picture, are there particular cardiac abnormalities that most cardiac surgeons would offer these infants, or is there significant variability? I think there's significant variability, honestly. I think there are centers that you can dock shop to that will provide certain procedures to the family that I feel or our group feels that it's not appropriate. So although there's a standard now that we would offer the sort of simpler cases, the most places around the country, there are certain centers around the country, uh, which will remain nameless, that will offer these more complex procedures, which I think is ethically maybe not appropriate. I understand. Maybe let's focus in on those more standard procedures. Do you feel like it's the standard right now that VSDs and ASDs would be fixed in most patients with trisomy 13 and 18 who have a decent chance of going home with their family? Yes, I, I really believe so. Yep. And I feel like that, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like that could be a shift in the standard over the last 10, 15 years? Sure. I mean, one of the things that we really faced is that child in the NICU, because of their advanced care, lingering and not being able to get home because of their cardiac defect. As you know, Zach, from your research likely, most of these kids die for three reasons, cardiac, respiratory, or neurological issues. If they don't have neurological issues and the respiratory issues are taken care of and they're just sitting in the hospital waiting for the ultimate outcome from this diagnosis because of the cardiac defect, most of us around the country will offer a repair to get the child home. You know, we've already alluded to this a few times, but these children are quite complex and they can have multiple congenital abnormalities. What are those key clinical factors that you always consider before offering a family a cardiac surgery? I think the most important thing is that we're not doing something that is in benefit of the family or for the doctor. For example, if we have a child that has small airways and it's complex respiratory issues and the family really wants to have a tracheostomy done in this child. I have an ethical issue about putting a child through something like that because it's not standard and there's risks and there's long-term ramifications associated with that, that the child will likely succumb before they receive any benefit. From a cardiac operation such as a VSD closure, the child will have a significant benefit from that well before they succumb to the ultimate results of having this syndrome. So it seems like a patient needing positive pressure ventilation or being small birth weight or having lung disease would be a big player. I agree. Yes, definitely. 
along with that, pulmonary hypertension may be? So these children, the natural course of, of trisomy 18s especially is that their pulmonary vascular resistance will increase very quickly. And sometimes I get these calls from my cardiologist, well, he has a big VSD, the PVR is high. What if you close the VSD? Will it help the PVR? It would in a patient with non-syndromic issues, but it doesn't do anything for the patient with trisomy 18. So offering them a VSD closure in somebody that's already home on home oxygen is really futile in my opinion. And for these patients, if they were to be able to have that surgery earlier in life, would that perhaps give them more benefit? Or is it hard to say? No, I think it's really hard to say. I think it's hard to parse out what is the result of a VSD giving you pulmonary vascular resistance versus pulmonary vascular resistance issues due to the, the syndrome itself. And I can tell you this, if we just look at VSDs, they won't have issues with the pulmonary vascular resistance over the age of you know one year. And as you know, majority of these children die within one year from this. So that's the standard I use. You know, that really gets at the complexity of these patients. And it definitely is a difficult conversation for many of our families Kind of leaning in there, we've mentioned earlier that complex and multi-stage procedures you know, may not be all for corrective surgery. Focusing in on single ventricle disease, what can those families be offered? Well, I think it's hospice and as much care as we can provide them. I've not seen a shunt-dependent child with trisomy 18 survive more than a few weeks after they're being born. So it's comfort care, really, and we do have really sort of evolving system here with comfort care. As, as you may know, we hired Sharon Beal, who's really a staunch supporter of this kind of service provide to our patients and help these families with this. But it really is a difficult thing when you get into the advanced congenital heart defects. And we can't forget that this is such a team sport, so to speak. We got to have a neonatology, palliative care, cardiology, cardiac surgery. And you know, these patients are complex and these families have complex needs and it's going to take many different providers to help take care of them. No question. Whether it's syndromic or not, anything within congenital heart surgery, congenital cardiology is a team approach. Very good. You know, kind of thinking about our cardiac program here at Augusta University, will you take a minute and talk about our program here and what procedures we're able to offer these babies? Sure, in general. So the program here has had an illustrious past. The issues were, in the past, we really never took it outside the Augusta region. So we had a very strong program. We had a very strong surgical outcomes program, but it was never advanced to the place in Georgia where it should be. And it's exciting since my arrival this past September of us building our outreach program. We're setting up cardiology groups in both Athens and Albany, areas of the state that we should be serving. And I think that's something new to the facet of this this institution. But other than transplant and advanced devices, we offer every procedure for congenital heart defects here. You know, it's very exciting kind of hearing that we're branching out to these other cities in the state so we can try to fulfill our mission of being the public health care university for the state of Georgia. It really is an exciting time for us. And I think with the support of our dean, Dr. Hess, and with our CEO, Ms. Kiefer, they've really allowed us to take this to the next step in supporting us, you know, to providing the service throughout the state in Southern South Carolina. Hey, very good. As we work towards winding up our conversation today, kind of thinking of what we talked about, these babies, they need an overall comprehensive evaluation from multiple providers, and we need to take the family's wishes into the center of our plans for taking care of their babies. Our babies who maybe don't have as many comorbidities, who have that simple VSD or simple ASD, we can likely offer them surgical correction. But if they have trach-dependent on positive pressure ventilation and have a complex cardiac lesion, 
those babies will probably not be able to be surgically corrected. Completely agree with you. And I think we need to keep family first with patient in that part of the family. So I always tell my parents, especially those ones that are dealing with a very sick child that with the syndrome, without a syndrome, that I will do everything for your child to a point where I believe we're not treating the best interest of the child anymore. We're treating the best interest of mom and dad and myself. And most parents like that statement. You know, we want to do what's best for the child. And uh, from our experience, I think I agree with you 1,000% that we will offer procedures that child will have a good outcome with, and it will have a procedure that will correct the defect and not lead to long-term issues. I think that's really interesting. And before making the appointment to meet with you today, I didn't even realize that these babies with complex genetic syndromes like trisomy 13 or 18 could even be offered cardiac surgery. And I think this will be a really interesting conversation for our audience. Dr. St. Louis, as we wrap things up, do you have any other take-home points or key pieces of information that you'd like to leave with our audience of pediatricians? Oh, I just think that refer the patients. Uh, I actually had a patient that was, the mom was told that this patient should be terminated with trisomy 18 and a simple coarc at a regional hospital of ours without even consultation with us for that same reason you described, some historic biases that exist. So if there's any question, there, we're always available, our cardiologists are available, just please contact us. And if you want to see the patient, we'll certainly see the patient. We'll tell you what the latest information is going on, what the latest literature shows, but we will give you information. And I think that is key, is just let us know. Well, that's very important. At least ask the question, because this is a rapidly changing field. Dr. St. Louis, I want to thank you again for joining me on the podcast today. I've had a great time. Thank you very much, Thank you for listening to this episode from the Department of Pediatrics at the Medical College of Georgia. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can email us at mcgpediatricpodcast at augusta.edu. Remember that all content during this episode is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be used as medical advice to diagnose or treat any particular patient. We are looking forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the MCG Pediatric Podcast.